Welcome. Here at The Bridge Church, we exist to help you connect to God, grow with family, and serve our city. We hope today's message will allow you to grow deeper in your connection to God. Enjoy the message. Well, let's praise God. Let's give the Lord praise and worship for what we just experienced. Amen. Let's praise him. Ah. Well, we've hit that part of the year. You know that part of the year where uh, you realize that the changes that we set so eagerly out to make just a few weeks ago, you know, those, those things, uh, I think what we call them um, resolutions that we went to set, that they, this is the point of the time in the year where we realize it's not as easy as we thought to, uh, to just kind of turn over a new leaf. Y'all feel me out there? Okay, okay, all right. I, okay, confession time. So, so this, was, this was my like big New Year's resolution thing. It's a passion planner. And it was going to help me become more organized and structured and, and just focused with goals and decisions, right? So, you know, I just, the goal was to just look at it every day and, and, and plan and, and just kind of have, you know, new year, new me. Unfortunately, I haven't opened it up in the last couple of days because <laughs> uh, I'm impulsive, you know, remember that, sh- that cartoon at one t- uh, time where, you know, somebody was talking and they'd be like, car, and then they just kind of get distracted by whatever else was happening. That, that's kind of like me. So I, I kind of get distracted very easily. And, and, and so what I find is that the goal that I had is, is just kind of colliding with some of my impulses and challenges. Now, don't get me wrong. I'm not saying that it is a wrong desire to try to positively impact the world, but we often underestimate how difficult it is for us to impact ourselves. What does it look like for us to change ourselves? So, so yeah, new year, new you. I get it. That's dope. Like, I, lo- I love the vision behind it, but the reality is that oftentimes we find it being more difficult than we thought to make changes. And here's the reality. Before we can move into the future, we must first make sense of our past and embrace how it has formed us. See, part of the problem is we come into 2017 as if 2016 just like went away and all the the decisions that we made, like the stuff that's in our refrigerator in December 31st isn't still, you know, like, no, that baggage gets carried along just because the clock got started on a new year doesn't mean that all of that stuff just vanishes and disappears. And so how do we move forward with understanding and identifying healing and growth and change? Because you realize that it's, you know, even when it comes to like, you know, many of us have the goal of losing weight and you realize, you know, it's not just about making better decisions about what I eat. But oftentimes, it's about dealing with the idea that I use food as a coping mechanism because I'm lonely. And so just trying to, you know, muscle up the, 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 the desire to just have this goal by itself doesn't work. And here's where the gospel comes in. Because, you see, before we can effectively heal the brokenness in the world, 
We must allow the gospel to heal the brokenness in us. We, we got stuff that we need to let the light of who Christ is fill us up and meet us where we are. And that's why I'm excited about this series uh, that we're going to be in for the next couple of, day, uh, next couple of weeks. Healing healthy changes. How the gospel makes us whole. Healthy changes. How the gospel makes us whole. Now, this, this series is actually based on an incredible groundbreaking book called Changes That Heal by Dr. Henry Cloud. It's, it's, it's such a significant work that many organizations have it as required reading for their leadership development compartments because it, it kind of just shines this light on this area and helps us make sense of how the gospel message kind of peers into these areas in the deep places. And so I would recommend over the, you know, that you purchase it if you don't already own a copy. If you do and it's sitting on your bookshelf, you know, kind of take it out and kind of go along with this journey with us. So essentially in this three-part series, what we're going to look at is, is we're going to look at the environment for growth, but we're also going to look at the ingredients uh, for growth and how both of those things play into each other. Because I, I, I'm convinced and persuaded that only when we effectively embrace these principles will we be freed up to live with the freedom and the confidence and the purpose that we all desire for this year and, and that God has for us. So here's the thing, the gospel. What, what do you mean by this? Well, we, we, we heard last week when Pastor James explained that essentially gospel means good news. And in Roman times, that good news was talking about uplifting stories in general. So specifically, when it relates to the gospel of Jesus Christ, we recognize that the gospel of Jesus Christ is the good news that God has restored broken relationships with three components. Himself, with others, so it's not just a vertical aspect of us and God, but it's also the horizontal of us and each other. But then it's also the internal of us and ourselves, the person that we look at when we look into the mirror. That the gospel has all of these implications. And unfortunately, oftentimes throughout church history, we have kind of emphasized the, the salvation component of this gospel message without shining enough adequate light on the other elements that has to do with how God wants to restore relationships with ourselves and relationships with other people. And so we're going to spend some time and attention on that because it is critical for what the church is supposed to be. Because, you know, many of us are like, uh, we, we, we do this thing where anybody, when you have like guests coming over, like for dinner, right? And, and so you haven't cleaned the house that well. And so what you do is like, you got like 10 minutes. And so you kind of just grab the clothes and just kind of shove them into the, the closet and you kind of put stuff under the bed and, and you know, you just kind of, you kind of straighten up. And then they come by and they're like, oh, this looks so nice. And you're like, thanks, you know? And then, you know, after a nice visit, they leave and, um, and then like, it don't work, right? Like you, stuff is still, your, your house is still a mess. Matter of fact, now it's kind of worse because you forgot where stuff is. Like, did I put it under the bed or did I put it in this closet? Where'd it go? 
And, and what we do is we hide our dirty clothes. And, and, and so what we, we just kind of rearrange life, not really cleaning the house of what's going on in us, but just kind of tucking it under the bed and, and putting it away so that when people come by, we can just kind of have this big grin on go, hey, what's up? God bless. Yeah, everything's great. But the house is still dirty. It's still a mess. And so as inspirational as this year is and the joining the gyms and the quotes and all the other things that we do, we have to kind of go in and clean the house for us to really make the impact that we want to see happen. So here's the deal. So in the Gospels, right, there's four different Gospels we see in the Scriptures, and each one kind of has a start with a different historical perspective. Matthew and Luke, they start with the heritage of Jesus, the lineage of him, right? So, so it has this kind of genealogical family history perspective. Mark, which we looked at the last couple weeks, it has more of a ministry history. It starts off, I mean, it just hits the ground running. John the Baptist proclaiming who Jesus is. Jesus gets baptized and it's on and popping. Now, the Gospel of John, though, it, it starts from a whole different angle in terms of the history. It, it, it goes not just when the ministry began, it goes further back. Not just when his genealogy began in terms of who was Mary's daddy and Mary's Mary's and all of that, but it actually starts from the beginning of time. Um, and, and so, in this series, it, what we reveal, what we realize is that through the gospel, and, and what we're going to look at is John chapter 1, we actually see that his identity has everything to do with healing these relationships. So check it out. In John chapter 1, it says, in the beginning was the word, and the word was with God, and the word was God. He was in the beginning with God. So John says, look, this, this, this word, this, this second person of the Trinity, he was there from the very beginning. And then the groundbreaking moment happens in a few verses later where he says, and the word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we have seen his glory. Glory as the only son from the Father, full of grace and truth. Do you see the moment that, that John is building here? He says, look, we have seen the glory of God in the face of Jesus. And, and, and he's, as he's coming up with words to describe this, this glory that he's talking about, he just says, look, he was full of grace and truth. This is the co combination that we experience in Jesus, right? So then it goes on. In verse 16, he says, for from his fullness, we have all received grace upon grace. For the law was given through Moses. Grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. Now, you got to understand the hist history behind this. Moses was essentially the most significant figure in Judaism. In the old, I mean, he wrote the first five books of the Old Testament. He was the one that God revealed the law to. So you wasn't getting any, anywhere more significant than Moses in, in Jewish history. And he says, yeah, the law came through Moses, big ups, but then something better has just happened. Something superior has just happened. Grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. 
Once again, this, this, this phrase, grace and truth. And then, and then he goes on to say that, uh, whoops, let me go back. So that grace and truth came through Jesus, right? So, so, so get the picture. He's, he's setting up a comparison. He's saying, look, the law came through Moses, and that was helpful, but grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. And so the necessary environment, what he's establishing is that in Jesus, something significant happened in time that hadn't happened before. That the fullness of God's glory was revealed in a way that before even Moses just had glimpses of. But now they see in in a sense of fullness more clearly. And so this environment that we're talking about, and this is the necessary environment that uh, Cloud mentions in the book. He says, look, here's the equation. Grace plus truth plus time equals growth. This, this is the formula that we need. This is the environment that we need in order to experience God doing that work of filling us up. So that not only do we see him clearly, but we also experience ourselves, the person that looks back at us in the mirror clearly, and also the relationships that we have with other people. And we're going to get into that a little bit more. So first is this atmosphere of grace. No, not yet. Oh, it's the second one. <laughs> <That's>... <laughs> he was on it. That slide comes up a second time, so I appreciate that, my brother. Yeah, yeah, that's dope. (laughs) Um, (laughs) So we're going to look at this atmosphere of grace, right? Now, this atmosphere of grace is is really key and important because it is, if you notice, in John 1, it kept coming up first. It says that Jesus was full of grace and truth, and the grace component came first. And, And here's what... What we see is that grace is God's unmerited favor toward people. It is the relational aspect of God's character. You know, so, okay, what do I mean by it? So it's like the fact that God is inclined. He, he not only loves us, but he, he likes us. It's this aspect that his attitude is toward us is, is one of wanting to draw us into relationship with him. It's... It's, it's the relational dynamic. And so it's interesting because, you know, in the best picture I could think to draw from this in the natural world is that of a plant, right? So there are co- several components that a plant needs in order to grow. And one of them, what's one of the basic ones? Talk to me. Water, what else? Sunlight. And sunlight is this aspect where it's just this atmosphere that the plant needs in order to to grow. And it it just kind of, sun just kind of beams on the plant, and as it beams on the plant, the leaves just kind of soak up the atmosphere of this sun, of this warmth, and it provides the right context. So even if you just took a plant and just kind of put it in the basement in the dark, it's not going to grow because it it needs something. It needs that atmosphere in order to grow. And so do we as well. And it's amazing because, I don't know if you've seen anything in the news recently, but, but grace is, is similar to mercy, but it's a little bit different. In the last few days of President Obama's administration, he signed a lot of pardons to people, right? So, so a presidential pardon is when uh, there's this aspect where there are people who are in prison and maybe there was this, a, a determination that 
the sentences were too long, or maybe they were in prison for something that, uh, you know, now we don't consider something worthy of somebody being in prison. But for whatever reason, the president has the prerogative as the highest official in the land to simply sign a document, and that document can create a scenario in which that person who is languishing in prison becomes free. So, President Obama set this record for having the most he, he, uh, commutations. That's when you shorten the sentence um, in, in the history. He did more than any other president. But there was also a couple hundred people that he straight up pardoned. And a pardon means that they take your record. And when you get a pardon, your record goes away. So the person who gets a pardon, they go to a job and they don't got to check off that little felony box. It's like it never happened. So one of these guys, Oscar Lopez, he actually was guilty in the, uh, of a crime. He, you know, he pled guilty or, and he was, in, he was in prison for, for years of being part of this group that actually kind of set bombs and kind of was part of this liberation in the 70s thing. And, and so there was no dispute about the facts of the case. There wasn't this question of was he involved with this group or not. But the pre- because the president pardoned him, it was as if his offense had never happened. Now, that's kind of dope, right? Because it's like, that's what God does to us in salvation. It's, he, he gives us a, a presidential pardon, this aspect where it's like, you were guilty, but, but oh, by the way, in order for you to receive a pardon, you have to admit that you were guilty. You, you, if you refuse to admit that you're guilty, then you don't get the pardon, right? So, so this guy's like, yeah, I, I, I did the crime. And, and so the, the president decides to just sign and, and just, you free. This dude was like, it's like in his 70s, he had 50 more years left on his sentence. He wasn't getting out, but he was set free. And as great as that is, that's just mercy. See, mercy is when God withholds what you do deserve, but that's still not grace. See, grace kicks it up a notch. Grace is like if that same president decides, oh, by the way, Brother Oscar, um, if you want, you can come live with us. We have a room right next to Sasha and Malia's that you can stay with. Anything in the fridge is yours, and, and you can even be adopted and have our name and be an Oscar Obama if you want to. Now, that's grace. That's not just withholding what you do deserve. That's giving you what you don't deserve. And that's the kind of atmosphere and the environment of truth, of, of grace that God gives us. That's the, the light of his truth that he shines upon us, that he gives grace to us, those things that we don't deserve. And that's good news. An atmosphere of grace is where mistakes and errors are forgiven, and one does not have to earn love and acceptance. And see, part of what Christ does in establishing this thing called the church is he creates an, a community in which people don't just experience this aspect of grace just uh, from God down to man, but that we're supposed to experience that atmosphere of grace among each other as well. To remind each other that, yo, yeah, you messed up, you made a mistake, you, you, you sinned against the Holy God, but guess what? You can be restored and that my attitude towards you is going to be one of reconciliation. And that is a necessary environment for our growth. You know, grace is kind of like growing up. I mean, just think of that person that loved you no matter what. I mean, you could be just bold-faced wrong. It didn't matter. For me, that was my grandfather. Now, you know, and grandparents in general, they have this way where it's like, they just give you everything you want. My, 
my mom used to be so frustrated when I would go to my grandfather's house, right? Because there was like, look, the, the food groups was ice cream and popsicles and hot dogs. And like, that was it. That was the, like the food groups. There was no like vegetable involved at all when we went to grandfather's house. And it was just like, whatever you want. You can have this, you can have that. We'd be like, oh, I don't know if I want ice cream. I think I want popsicles. He'd be like, you got both. I mean, it, didn't, it just, just was lavishing all of it over us, right? And there's this aspect where if, if, if we did something wrong, there'd be this explanation given. You know, I mean, look, if you ever want to see a good defense attorney, see your grandparent confronting your parents about what you did wrong. Well, you know, the boy didn't know what he was doing. <laughs> Give him some slack. And then the parents would be all frustrated. But when I was this, you would beat me. And then, you know, it's like, you know, because it's just this attitude of grace. But see, there's a problem, though was just the atmosphere of grace by itself. Because, see, if I lived at my grandfather's house, I would have no teeth. Because <laughs> there was no checking to make sure if any of that was happening. It was like those food groups of ice cream and popsicles, and I thought that would have been it. And so there's this element where uh, grace is incredible and it's great, but grace without truth gives us acceptance without direction. You know, and and this is the culture in which we live in today where many of us, it's just like, hey, just accept everything and everybody. And there is an important space for the atmosphere of grace that that says come as you are, but don't stay like you are. It's it's come as you are, but but, but truth is going to come alongside of you to help you grow and be beyond just where you are. See, See, grace without truth is like telling the kids, go out and play on the street, but not telling them that they can't go across the street. And if they're five years old, they're not going to look both ways. See, we needed those boundaries in place. We needed those things to tell us, hey, look, you can't go there. Stop at the corner. We needed that aspect as well. And that is why it's important that we realize that Grace is important, but it's not sufficient by itself. Because grace without truth lies. Grace without truth doesn't tell you what you need to hear in order to grow. Grace without truth is deception. And so it's not sufficient in and of itself. In addition to the atmosphere of grace, we need something else. We need an environment of truth. Because you see, some of you guys said it already, when it comes back to this plant, right? Like, yeah, I can give it all the sunlight in the world, but if it doesn't get the rain and the moisture, then it will still die. It needs both. It needs the rain and it needs the sun. And many of us don't like it when it rains outside. But we need that rain because everything that we eat is dependent on the rain that comes down from above. And so it is with truth. So what do we mean by truth? An environment of truth is where the word, the word of God is spoken to challenge and encourage and correct and helpful evaluative feedback is given. That is an environment of truth. We all need those people in those places who will tell us the truth about ourselves in order for us to grow. See, and this is a problem because, you know, people are saying we live in a 
post-truth world, right? Because we can say, you know, there, there's fake news and, and there's, you can go on the internet and find just about any opinion you, you want to agree with your, your opinion. And so we come to this place where oftentimes there's a fight for even is there something called truth out there? But the reality is we, we all know that we all need those boundaries and we all need that clarity about how do we move forward and grow. In a place and environment in which the word of God is, is, is spoken to challenge and encourage and correct. That is the space, that, that's the rain that our roots need to soak up in order to grow. And look at that other part, in helpful, evaluative feedback is given. See, we all also need somebody to tell us, uh, you know, when you go to that restaurant and you get a little bit of spinach kind of in your teeth, and it's like, um, yeah, you need to get that out. That's there. See, Grace would just be like, ha I'm just going to act like nothing ain't there. But we don't want that, right? We want somebody to go and tell us, like, look, that don't look right. Like, something is off. We need that aspect of truth. But, once again, there's a problem. And this problem is that oftentimes we experience truth without grace. And especially in the church, this is something that tragically has become too common. Now, Jesus said this. He said, sanctify them in the truth. Your word is truth. This is his prayer to the Father in his high priestly prayer in John chapter 17. He says, look, sanctify them. Sanctify means to set apart. It means to, to mature them, to, to, to help them to grow. And he says, sanctify them in the truth. Your word is truth. Another place in scripture, it talks about how the word is like, like looking at ourselves in a mirror and that it shows us, oh, I have things in me that I have to grow in and change. And that those changes, while they might be difficult and painful even at times, are the very things that help us to grow. But here's the thing. God's word is the truth that sets boundaries and gives direction. See, this is the part that many of us were struggling. We're trying to find out like, okay, what's my goals and, and, and what's my direction and what's my purpose? But you're trying to find your purpose without identifying the one who made you. You know, many of us don't like to look at the instructions. You ever buy something new, but you were so excited to open up the package that you just kind of bypass the whole instruction part, and then you don't set it up right, and then you go back to the instructions to figure it out. Because there was a designer who knew how that person, he or she, made that product. And as a result of that, they've explained and spelled out how that product is supposed to be used. But here we go, the product ourselves, trying to just make it work without identifying and connecting it to the person who created us in the first place. We need that sense of truth in order to frame our lives. But there's a, like the danger though is, is to realize that somehow we just, some of us just like to bring the truth. You know, we're in relationships and we that one person that's like, they usually going to tell it like it is. No regard for a person's emotions or feelings or anything like that. Context, we just, truth missiles just come in. All yet, you know, and we just kind of look at the person like, what? You asked. <laughs> but, but there's this element where the law, truth without relationship, it doesn't work. It just produces shame and guilt. And far too often, this has been the legacy and the tradition when people experience this in the walls of the church. They experience truth, but they do so in a way in which there is no relationship. There is no coming alongside of. There is no walking with somebody. There's just truth missiles being shot. 
And, and, and the problem with that, there's several, but look at what Galatians, what Paul says in Galatians. He says, you who are trying to be justified by the law have been alienated from Christ. You have fallen away, here comes that word again, from grace. Because you see, legalism, the, the effort in our own to try to justify ourselves and, and try to live a, just this moral life and pull ourselves up by our own bootstraps apart from God's grace doesn't work because that was, wasn't what the gospel was set up with. That's not the good news. The good news is that he who knew no sin became sin for us so that we might become the righteousness of God. The good news is that salvation is by God's grace through faith, not by anything that we do. But so often, so frequently, we can go back into this legalistic mode. If I, if I can just check off the right boxes, right? If I can just pray enough, if, if I can just read enough, if, yeah, make sure I read every day, because if I don't, then God doesn't like me. Okay, so then what else do I need to do? I need to, okay, I need to avoid this particular sin that we emphasize and that. And the funny thing is that the list is never incomplete. And this is why, legal, you ever notice that the most legalistic people are always hypocritical? Here's why. Because there's no way for us to actually accomplish all the laws that it would take to be legalistic. So we got to like kind of hide some of it. There we go. Hiding that stuff under the bed again or putting the stuff in the closet because none of us can actually meet the requirements of what it means to live the law out on our own. So here's the reality. Grace without truth lies, but truth without grace kills. Truth without a sense of, 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 of relationship, without a sense of, of, of a connection and committing to be with somebody and help them walk through whatever their struggle is, whatever they're going through and says, I am committed to you. I see you not just for what you've done, for what, you've, you, know, what you did that, that wasn't right, but I also see you in the humanity that's in you and I'm going to commit myself to walk you along the process of restoration. That's what truth and grace does. But truth without grace just judges. It just con con condemns. It just gives a sentence of you're not enough. You're not right enough. You're not good enough. And that's why it's a problem. And look at what Jesus says in John 4. He says, God is spirit, and those who worship him must worship in spirit and in truth. There's a combination. You can't just try to worship God just with the legalism and with the laws and the rules. There has to be this combination where we understand the grace of God and the, and the, and the relational component of who God is to walk us through. But we can't stay there because he, does, he has this component where just like grace is the relational component, truth is the structural component. Truth is the, the skeleton in our bodies that makes sure that we can stand upright. And we're just not like an amoeba, just kind of a blob just there. We need that structure. And, and, and that's what truth gives us. And here's the thing. There is no fear of truth when one is surrounded and affirmed by grace. See, it all changes when we realize that the person who is coming alongside of us and telling us like that spinach is in between our teeth or telling us something a, a little bit more difficult or hard than that, that they have our best interests in, in mind and that they are committed for us for the long term, then it's easier to receive that truth. And this is why people reject the truth of the gospel so often because they feel like, okay, if, if I admit that I, I'm 
totally incapable of pleasing God on my own. If I admit that I'm, that I'm a fallen person, then all of a sudden God is just going to zap me down, right? They don't understand it. No, his posture and his disposition toward you is graceful and, and is loving. And so it's okay. Like, you can be you. You can just kind of let down your guard and, and kind of reveal he knows anyway, but, but like, let him in. Let him in. Because he's committed by relationship. And so there's just an amazing context in which, man, when, when we are surrounded and affirmed, by that grace, then we can let down our walls and allow God's truth to come inform us. And, and notice that this is important, not just, this isn't just devotional life in a corner. This is community in which this happens. This is flesh and blood, looking at flesh and blood, creating that sense of support, creating that sense of affirmation in which we can see what's going on inside of us and still growing from it. Grace without truth lies, but truth without grace kills. This is how Cloud put it. Grace, when it is combined with truth, invites the true self, the me, as I really am, warts and all, into relationship. It is one thing to have safety in relationship. It is quite another to be truly known and accepted in that relationship. And that is the combination of those two things. I mean, it, I kind of experienced this, uh, both sides of this. Um, a couple weeks ago, I was uh, speaking around at some different conferences, and one of the conferences I was at in Atlanta, I saw this guy, Troy. And I had known Troy, I had seen him around uh, over the years at different conferences. And, um, but, you know, we started talking, and the conversation kind of turned deep, and he kind of said, hey, can we, can we kind of come along? So, like, just can you, we sit down and talk? So I said, sure. And as we sat down and talked, he began to just kind of open up. And he said, you know, and he started with, uh, I have daddy issues. Um, my dad left when I was very young, about four years old. And he was still like in the city, but he just decided to have another family. And I just was like, man, why didn't he choose me? And so from ever since that point, I've had this like issue with like my sense of acceptance and esteem. But then after that, I was kind of raised by just female, you know, aspects of women. And so I didn't have a male figure to kind of look at. And, and so I began to, began to get, become teased and people just was, you know, say I just kind of acted super feminine. And, and so I just kind of had this struggle. And then I got to college and I got to college and then I got confused because now I have all this freedom. And so I began to just kind of explored everything sexually, you know, and I didn't even know who I was anymore in terms of what my identity was. And I uh, felt some sense of guilt or remorse about, some, you know, these relationships. And, you know, I just would kind of go back and forth because I didn't know, man, am I gay? Am I straight? Am I bi? Am I both? I don't know. But then he, he went back home after that first year of school and kind of word it spread about some of the stuff that he had been doing that uh, were against the rules. And so he was sat down for ministry. He, would, he had been singing and being a part of the worship team. And the thing that he told me, he said, you know, and they just kind of sat me down, but nobody ever asked me about anything about my background. Nobody tried to walk with me. They just kind of just punished me. Just kind of sat me in the corner. And so from that point on, I've had this ongoing struggle with like how to reconcile my sense of like my, 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 my behavior and the things that I make and who I'm attracted to and any, every, all of this stuff with, with God. But then I can't talk to anybody about it because I remember what I experienced, this sense of judgment. 
And so I remember talking to him. I said, well, you know, that's kind of, I mean, first of all, that's a tragic situation. Thank you for opening up. And I, I share with them, you know, that's really not the model that God has for us for experiencing who he is. The gospel actually sets us free from a sense of shame and, and that we, we, God wants to change our lives, not so that we can become acceptable to him, but because we already are acceptable to him and he's trying to sanctify us by that sense of truth. So, bruh, I love you, man. And, you know, but and, and here's, here's the truth part, right? Here, here's what God has revealed, that he, he has called all of us to, to walk in conformity with the standards in terms of, you know, what we do with our bodies. But hey, dude, like, I'm, I'm willing to walk with you through that process. Uh, he just, his whole face changed, and he was like, man, I never heard that before. And uh, so he began to, um, <laughs> the next day, he said that there was this mentor that was actually like a speaker at the conference. And the next day, he, he, he had been ducking this guy for like a year. The guy had been calling him, and, and he just kind of avoided his phone calls. And he finally, you know, called him back and was like, hey, can we, can we get up when, when we get back in town? And so I've talked to Troy over the last couple weeks, and his whole posture and perspective has changed because he's realized that, man, I'm not just being rejected because of my past, but it's like I'm being accepted for who I am and being encouraged to grow. And that's the difference between when, you, when you're surrounded by an aspect of grace. It, it, it creates a scenario in which, okay, I, I'm safe in order to share now and, and reveal what it is that I'm going through. And it also has this sanctifying effect, not just on the listener, but on the person that's speaking too. I grew listening to his story. I grew listening to his situation. And, and that's why it's so important for us to grasp these two concepts. And here's the amazing thing, right? So Jesus, he was, uh, was kind of, they, they tried to corner him with this, this woman that was caught in adultery. And he's teaching, and they, and they throw the woman in front of his feet. And they say, okay, we caught her in the act of adultery, Jesus. The law says we should stone her to death. What do you say? Now, they were trying to corner Jesus because even though the law had this aspect of it, the reality was they were colonized by the Romans. And so they were not permitted to execute anybody under Roman rule. And so if Jesus said, uh, yeah, we should, let's go ahead and, 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 you know, stone her to death, then he would, they would have gone to the Romans and told on them that he was preaching insurrection. But if he didn't, if he said, no, 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 I'm not down with that, just stop it, then they could have said, it, well, he's not following the law. So what Jesus decides to do is he stoops down and he writes on the ground. And as he's writing on the ground, the people are just walking away. And he gets up and all the men who had accused her were gone. Now, there's a lot here that I can't unpack, like, where was the dude? <laughs> you know, if you're caught in adultery, you can't do that by yourself. Um, how did they know they were going to catch her in the morning? Uh, it was a whole lot of different things where we could see that this was a staged situation. But, but here's the deal, though, right? So he, he stands up and he says, uh, does anyone, no one condemns you? She said, no one, Lord. And she said, neither, he said, neither do I condemn you. Go and sin no more. And see, that's the combination of the grace and truth. He gave her the environment, the relationship where he saw her. Throughout this whole passage, nobody actually spoke to her. He looked at her. And he said, I don't condemn you. 
Now, here's the truth. Go and sin no more. And that is the balance in which we experience this aspect of grace and truth. But here's the key. Growth happens in the context of relationships. This is key. Growth happens in the context of relationships. It doesn't just happen as we sit there by ourselves in our rooms trying to hide from who we really are. It happens as God has given us relationships. I've been watching, uh, you know, if anybody saw the series Breaking Bad, there was this uh, one episode where um, this woman um, had a drug, a drug problem. And so she was going to Narcotics Anonymous. And in the, the show, it was, it was a very big contrast between the way that her dad treated her and the experience that she had at the meeting. Because her dad would just say, oh, you're still on those drugs. Why, what's wrong with you? Why can't you clean yourself up? You're better than this. I'm so ashamed of you and embarrassed. But then she would go into the meetings, and they would just kind of talk about their struggles. They would just kind of say, you know, yeah, I had a good week this week. Um, I was tempted to kind of go to that needle, but then I remembered the things that we've been learning in this group. And then somebody else would stand up, and they say, yeah, I kind of, you actually used the word, I backslid this week. Um, I took some things I shouldn't have, and, and so uh, I'm trying to go back. And, but when, they, when that moment happened, the people just had this, like, knowing look of, yeah, I know the struggle I'm in it with you. And, and so often, the church is like the dad and not like the AA group. See, because you can only have it one of two ways. See, in church, people try to look better, but you end up getting worse while you're trying to look better. Because you're just, you know, kind of putting on the facade. And, and at the AA meeting, they look worse because they're admitting their flaws, but they're getting better because they're looking worse. Yeah. And realizing who they are and admitting who they are and doing that in a context in which the truth of their struggles can kind of come out and permeate. And as a result of that, God's light shines in that and they change. Change can happen because they're experiencing truth in the context of relationship. It has to happen that way. We don't get it. But here's the last thing, right? So as, as long as the lying false self is the one relating to God, others, and ourselves, then grace and truth cannot heal us. As long as we still are hiding, we're still kind of pretending to be somebody who we're not, just so that other people can be a, uh, have that sense of approval, then we can't heal. The healing only happens when we expose who we really are to others. And, and for some of us, that's hard because... We've, we've experienced that pain of rejection. We've experienced that pain of, of people just judging us and, and just saying, you know, those terrible things. So it's like, oh, you're, you're just nothing. We've heard those things before. This isn't just like conceptual. We've been there. And yet God is telling us that this is the formula. This is how it happens, right? So here's the deal. Grace and truth are needed, but they are not sufficient for growth. They're not sufficient by themselves. There's one last ingredient, the element of time. And this is the other thing that we can get very frustrated about in our microwave society. But see, I like to cook. And see, a microwave is mad different than a crock pot. See, a crock pot, you put some, some meat in there, some onions in there, some, uh, some broth in there, and, and just like put it on low and you go to sleep. And the next morning you wake up and there's something glorious in that pot. 
something that you hadn't seen before in that pot. But, but see, the flavor's got a chance to marinate and kind of hang out together, and that meat is now falling off the bone, and it's just like, yes! You put that same ingredients in a microwave, it's, it's just a hot mess. It's just not so, so there's this element of time that we need. And, and so the reality is with a plant, even if you gave it sun and even if you just gave it rain, this doesn't happen overnight. This just doesn't get here where it blooms more leaves and sprouts out. And it, no, it takes time to get there. That plant has been taking at least about six months to get to this place. And so there's an element where we need time and need to embrace that. So here's the thing. Knowing that someone is in it with you over the long haul, growth is not instantaneous, despite our fast food society and quick fix mentality. When you know that somebody is in it with you over the long haul, you have the the, the faith and now you have the the, the vision and you have the, the, the confidence that, yo... You, you, you with me in this. You're not just going to drop me off and, and leave me alone as soon as I reveal something to you about my life that's broken. But like, you're actually going to sit there with me and kind of help me work this thing out. And when I can do that, I have now a sense of hope that, man, like, I can change. But oftentimes, we don't want to stay there with people in their mess. We want microwave Christianity. We want microwave sanctification. But it takes time. It takes time. This is one of the most amazing scriptures to me. Uh, In Luke 2.52, it says that, And Jesus grew in wisdom and stature and in favor with God and man. Now check this out for a second. We just read in John chapter 1, In the beginning was God, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God, and and the Word became flesh and dwelt among us. This aspect is essentially saying that Jesus was divine. He was God incarnate. Whoa! And now this verse is saying, but he was also human. And he grew in wisdom. How does one who knows it all grow in wisdom? I don't, I can't, that's another sermon for another day, but the truth is it happened. And this is the point. Jesus in all of his humanity grew. So if it took him time to grow about 30 years before he went into his earthly ministry, why are we trying to do it in 12 months? <laughs> it took, it's, if it took time for him to do it, then why are we trying to just it don't work that way. It takes time. It took time for Jesus to grow in, in wisdom. That's amazing perspective. And so we need to give ourselves time. Oftentimes we beat ourselves up because we haven't seen instant success. But the reality is there's such a thing as good time and bad time. Now, all time isn't created equal in terms of what we do with this time. When something is broken, you have to set it right in order for it to heal correctly. If not, then over time, the broken thing stays broken and gets solidified in its brokenness. All right, let me try to explain that a different way, right? So there's this young girl. Her name is Mika Lee in the UK, and she fell while she was playing And she broke her arm in two places, right? Now, when she broke her arm, uh, they didn't set it right. And so her arm kind of curves, right, in this part because it wasn't set right initially. So there's this aspect where the mom saw this arm when she got out the hospital and it kind of has this this almost this curved shape to it because they didn't set it right. 
And so the mom was like, yo, I want you to fix my little girl's arm so she's not like this. She's only six years old for the rest of her life. And you know what? The, uh, the hospital refused. And here's why. They said it would hurt her too much. It would cause too much pain. So this isn't causing, you know, this isn't like a, a big issue. Her life isn't in jeopardy. Her health isn't at risk from it being in this way. And so we're just going to leave it like this. Now, in our lives, when something gets broken, we don't want to fix it because it's going to hurt too much. We don't want to look back into that past situation and those past relationships and that, mo- that moment in which the world, our world crumbled because it's going to hurt too much. But if you don't look back there and reset what was broken, then over time it's just going to continue to be deformed. We have to be able to allow God's truth to set it right. Now, they were right. It will hurt. There was pain involved with the situation, but at the same time, that pain over time, when it comes to the things that we deal with, will actually set us right. And that which was broken can heal properly. You know, it was another little girl that um, also uh, had a situation where she was playing and, and, and her arm got broken and, um, you know, her parents had told her not to do any gymnastics in the house and she didn't listen and so they, she was doing gymnastics in the house and, and she fell and broke her arm. And they actually were on their way to a wedding, like they were getting dressed for a wedding at the time and so then their whole plans had to change because she decided to do gymnastics and break her arm. This is what that looked like. Yeah, yeah. See, see, my daughter, you know, she was same age, six years old. She, she broke her arm in the house. Now, the thing is that was interesting. There was this aspect where it, they, she got a cast on it, and because she got a cast on it, now you can't tell that the arm was broken because it was set right. Will you allow God to take what is crooked and broken because see, if you don't, that's bad time. Is it over time, you, the memory faded from what happened, but that doesn't mean it healed right. There's aspects and ways in which the truth of the gospel helps us to heal the right way. But that's not just in her case, also in mine. Um, when I was uh, in middle school, I had this moment where I just got like, Viciously, see, we were playing football and I struck, I mean, baseball and I struck out and everybody in the, in the whole game was teasing me and mocking me and I went off the field in tears and um, I had this moment when I was just like, okay, the world is not a safe place for me to express who I am emotionally. So I'm going to back off and just not do that anymore. And so as a result of that, for many years until I got to college, There was just aspects of who I was that I did not allow community to speak into. And I was stayed stunted in that place. When that happens, you stay stunted. You stay that six-year-old, you stay that 10-year-old in that that aspect of relationship, and it doesn't heal right. And it wasn't until I got around other believers who I could trust with what happened and, and just who I was that it began to heal and change. And then look at what it says in Psalm 68, 5 and 6. A father to the fatherless, a defender of widows, is God in his holy dwelling. God sets the lonely in families. He leads out the prisoners with singing, but the rebellious live in his son's scorched land. Look at what it's saying. It's saying, look, God is saying, if you didn't have a father growing up, I'll be your daddy. 
And I will be the one that defends those who are vulnerable and weak. And I will, look at that, God sets the lonely in families. I will place you in a family when yours was dysfunctional and broken and just kind of reinforce all types of negative things about who you think you are. I will give you a family that will speak life and truth into you. I will do that because I'm God. And that matters to me, a father to the fatherless. So the necessary environment is grace plus truth plus time equals growth. Now, the beautiful part is it's never too late for us to open up to those who love us and care about our development. It's never too late for us to set what was broken right. And we have the moment and opportunity to do that right now. God can use our current relationships to provide the nurturing we didn't receive as children. He can redeem the time for us if we allow him to. But there's an important aspect of this. In order to do that, to invite others into our brokenness is what it means to grow with family. We talk about this all the time at, at Bridge Church that we, we're here to, you know, grow with family. And that's just not like some cool catchphrase that we came up with, but it's directly related to that passage we just read. That God puts the lonely in families. He puts those of us who have suffered wounds over time into spaces where we can grow. But we have to make a decision. Well, we can just continue to hide who we are under the bed and in the closets and just keep them, you know, and while we just kind of put on the facade, like, hey, everything's great, I'm okay, and not allow the bone to set properly. But will we acknowledge what is true? I need help. I need more than where I am right now. So here's the action step. It's very simple this week. Grow with families and city groups. City groups are at the bridge are what we have created to, to begin that process of healing, of setting things right, of, of, of being drawn into community with each other. And this is two parts. Like, no, if you already are in a city group, but there are still aspects where, you know, you've kind of put away and out of arm's reach, then, then this is a call and a challenge to, to be vulnerable and to share who we really are so that in that atmosphere of grace, I can actually have truth spoken to me. But maybe you're here and you just, you know, you've been thought about it, you've heard about these things, but you just haven't taken that step. Let this be an opportunity and a challenge to go to the city group. Um, we have a sign-up uh, table in the back after service where uh, you can just sign up and we can we have nine different city groups all over Brooklyn and New Jersey and so my challenge to you this week is just to not hear this message and just kind of fall by you know by the wayside but find an opportunity to grow because growth happens in the context of community well let's pray Lord uh we thank you that you reveal to us the necessary environment for growth. That you tell us that we need an atmosphere of grace. We need this realization of your presence. We need 
the affirmation and love and support of the community. But you've also told us that we don't just need that sense of grace, but we also need truth that will tell us the right things, the boundaries that we have for our lives, the boundaries that you have placed there for our good. God, we pray that you would help us to embrace this truth and and, and find ourselves in this environment of truth. And then lastly, we pray that you would help us to do this over time, that you would give us a sense of patience with the process, that we would not grow weary or frustrated when in the next day it doesn't change, in the next month it doesn't change, but that we would bear with each other. And in doing so, God, would you help us like that plant, like a tree, actually bear fruit and grow. In Christ's name, amen. We hope you've been encouraged by this message. We'd love to hear how God used this sermon to speak to you. Please take a minute to email us your story. Our email address is info at bridgechurchnyc.com. And you can also find us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram by using at bridgechurchnyc or visit our website, bridgechurchnyc.com. Thanks again for listening to this week's message.